This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He came for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in. Fred Huebner with you for the next three hours. Usually, this is a time where I turn to my right and say hi to the Super Bowl champion Bear, Steve Mongo McMichael. Well, I'll be doing that tomorrow at 6 o'clock because the Bears with a Monday night contest against Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Down along the lakefront, so we'll have a quick hour and a half pregame tomorrow right after Waddle and Sylvie. They are out at the Binnies in Lincoln Park. You want to head on out and see those guys. They got some tickets to give away uh, tomorrow afternoon. But for the next three hours, we will be talking not only week two of the NFL. We'll get into some Bears talk. We will be talking with Arthur Arcus from Pro Football Weekly at around 10 o'clock. Hearing a lot of sound as the Bears get ready to try to bounce back after their opening day loss to the Green Bay Packers and what a loss it was. We'll hear from Mitchell Trubisky. We'll hear from Matt Nagy. Also, Vic Fangio. We'll hear from Mark Helfrich. We'll hear from a lot of the Bears as they gear up for this matchup with Seattle. Seattle is a hurting. Two of their linebackers are down. Wide receiver is down. Uh, They come in struggling on the road after a loss last week to Denver where Russell Wilson got sacked six times. So we'll talk a lot of football throughout the course of the day, but it's pennant race baseball time. There's two weeks to go in the regular season. The Cubs have won three in a row. And after a one nothing win yesterday afternoon at the friendly confines and the Pittsburgh Pirates beating the Milwaukee Brewers 3-1, to Cubs now have a two-and-a-half game lead in the division. So we'll talk about that. You want to jump on in, Cub fans? How you feeling this morning? You're trying to wrap up the series with the Reds this afternoon. Jose Quintana, who's been pitching very, very well, and we'll tell you in a minute how well he has been pitching along with the rest of the starting staff. They're trying to wrap up this sweep, make it four in a row, then hit the road really for the last time in the regular season. They open a series with the Arizona Diamondbacks tomorrow. Kyle Hendricks against Patrick Corbin tomorrow evening. And that's a big series for both teams. Arizona right now is four games out. In the West, the National League West is all kinds of fun. We'll have the MLB Roundup and MLB Notebook at around 10.30. But right now, the wild card in the National League, Milwaukee, with Colorado now in the wild card. Half game better than St. Louis and Arizona is three and a half back. So the Diamondbacks need to put on a push here, and they get the Cubs coming to town tomorrow. So we'll talk a lot of Cubs baseball. You want to jump on in, 312-332-3776. 
You talk about some sweaty palm action uh, the last couple of days, last three days to be exact. The Chicago Cubs have not made it easy as you're sitting there trying to pull for your favorites to uh, win a baseball game. Okay, the game in Washington, D.C., you get a 4-3 victory. It was a hard-fought game. Uh, D.C. was throwing the ball around. Uh, they took advantage. The Cubs did. Hang on to get the victory. They come back home, and they get Cincinnati, where they don't do much of anything on Friday night. But they got an Ian Happ three-run homer. Cole Hamels pitched six and two-thirds, and the bullpen shut things down. They get a win, 3-2 over the Reds. Yesterday, there was no offense to be had on either side. A total of eight hits in the ball game. The Cubs with four, the Reds with four. And Wilson Contreras bounces one past the second baseman into right field, scoring Javi Baez from second base in the sixth inning, and that was it. A one nothing win for the Cubs. Again, starting pitching the story of the game yesterday, John Lester doing it and uh, John Lester improves to 16 and 6 seven innings nine strikeouts equaling his season high gave up just two hits two walks and it said Joe Madden said after the game well you know it's getting to be that time Lester knows it Johnny um typically gets better when he smells it he made some really big pitches when he had to 108, maybe? Like last night was uh, 109 out of uh, Cole. John wanted to match him right there. Excuse me, and he, and he did. It's kind of reminiscent of um, velocities up a little bit from what I'm seeing. 90, a lot of 92s. Uh, the cutter slider's been a much more located, effective pitch. He pitched a lot without his changeup today, which I thought was uh, good because he's been a couple outings ago had a really good changeup work, and so he's got three pitches to, to deal with right now against a really good offensive ball club there who's given him some problems in the past. So a pretty nice day. But, yes, he's throwing the ball as well as he had all year right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. This Cub pitching staff is doing the job. Um, The starters are doing the job. Listen to this. Lester, over his last six starts, a 173 earned run average. Jose Quintana, who goes today in the final game of the three-game set, Looking to make it four straight wins for the Cubs. Quintana, a 184 ERA over his last five starts. And Cole Hamels, who pitched on Friday night, a 157 earned run average over the last nine starts. And Madden says, yeah, it's the starters right now that are doing the job carrying what's out there in the bullpen. Uh, you look at their innings pitch, number of pitches thrown, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, They don't feel so badly right now, giving them that opportunity to go a little bit deeper. And plus they want, I mean, those two guys... You're not going to, unless you absolutely have to, I really want to stay with them as deeply as possible. And now uh, Quintana, who's been throwing as well as anybody, comes out there tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, the, the starters right now are really important to us. If they could, uh, like in the beginning of the year, the bullpen really picked them up. Right now it's their turn to pick up the bullpen. The mornings they can pile up, and, and that makes it somewhat easier to piece the latter part of the game together. The one thing about the bullpen, though, is even though Joe's having to mix and match and throw different people out there, they're getting the job done. Yesterday, you saw John Lester for seven innings, as he mentioned, and uh, for the game, Lester, 108 pitches, two hits, two walks, nine strikeouts. Justin Wilson comes in. He pitches the eighth, gives up a hit, strikes out a guy. Then it goes to the bullpen for the ninth. And again, nervous? Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, Jesse Chavez gets one-third of an inning. He allows a hit, so there's a man on base. 
Rosario comes in, one-third of an inning, gets an out. Steve Ciszek comes in, gets the save, his fourth. And they've been piling things together. They did the same thing on Friday night. You get what you can out of the bullpen right now because they really, as the old man says, and most people know, there is no set guy to go to with Morrow down and Strope now out for the rest of the regular season. It's like I said, it's that uh, there are there is no closer. Um, it's... Um, and even when Stropy was here, he was not the closer. Um, it was. It's about really just trying to manipulate the last out as well as you can. The great part is that guys are getting this kind of experience, guys that had never done it before. Rosario, another significant out against a good hitter for him. Uh, that's got to do a lot for his confidence. Um, even the fact that we got Garcia up there, he's got to feel pretty good about that moment too. That we we've seen we've seen his work. Um, Maples was up earlier in that game, and I still believe that Mills has uh, a lot of significant moments left too. So. Um, overall, uh, despite of what's gone on recently, not a bad place to be in. No, the bullpen has been stepping up, and as he mentioned, some of those names, okay? Uh, Maples came in the other day, uh, got one out. It was a rocket shot, but you know what? They all count. You look at it, it just says one-third of an inning, no hits. And that worked out. They went through the bullpen and helped after Cole Hamels went six and two-thirds the other day. And yesterday, the bullpen, as I mentioned, came in, got the job done. Not one, not two, but four guys out of the bullpen. Wilson, Chavez, Rosario, and Ciszek. And they didn't have much to take care of, but when you only have a one nothing lead, it's difficult. And uh, one of the reasons they uh, were able to come in and shut down the Reds is that they only had to go for those two innings because John Lester was really, really good. As I said, 108 pitches, nine strikeouts. He talks about his high strikeout tally in his start yesterday. I, mean, I think we we do a good job of kind of zoning in on guys' weaknesses. Um you know, there's there's definitely days where you end up striking out more guys than you than normal. Um, there's days where you're able to get that weak contact. I think I would definitely prefer the you know the the shorter counts with the weak contact, or, or you know get a hit and move on. I mean, it, the, the, those are the days that you can kind of manage lineups and, and pitch around situations. But my fastball hasn't gone down that much. I mean, my top end uh, has, but I mean now we're we're doing different things. I'm a completely different pitcher than I was, you know, even even before I got here, um, you know, even two years ago. So uh, I'll take I'll take the me over the over the younger me uh, any day. Yeah, he's pitching really, really well. As as I mentioned, you got Lester, Quintana, and Hamels all pitching really, really well. Kyle Hendricks goes in the opener against the Arizona Diamondbacks tomorrow. Cub fans, how you feeling right now after your team puts together three straight wins? You go for the sweep against the Reds. Now, the bats still aren't doing anything, okay? You got a three-run homer from Hap on Friday. That's all the offense you got yesterday with two strikes. It looked like the Cubs were going to strand Javi Baez. He was at second base with one out. Russell struck out. Contreras looked like he was going to walk. There was a ball that was called a strike. He was not happy about that. He bounces one. It was an inside pitch. He bounces it the other way past the second baseman, drives in a run, one nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning, and then holds up. The Cubs managed just four hits yesterday. Zobris with two of them. How are you feeling going into the final two weeks of the season with a two-and-a-half game lead over Milwaukee? 3-1-2-3-3-2-3-7-7-6. Uh, by the way, the Reds-Cubs game, the 52nd one nothing game in the majors yesterday. 
Last season, there were only 29. So we talk so much about uh, pitching. We talk so much about uh, strikeouts and walks and home runs. Well, they've almost doubled the number of one nothing games uh, that they had in Major League Baseball last season. It's the Cubs' fourth one nothing win of the season, the most since they had five in 2015. The 17th shutout of the season, um, the most since they had 21 in 2015. So the pitching staff doing the job for the Cubs as they right now have that two-and-a-half game lead because Pittsburgh, a 3-1 win yesterday, knocking off the the Brewers. And the Brewers had a chance. Ninth inning, I'm watching that game. Uh, the Brewers get the first two men on base, and they can't score. And um, they, had, they had a nice crowd. Pittsburgh coming away with the win. They wrap up their series today up at Miller Park. So a lot of interest, despite it being week two of the NFL season, a lot of interest in Major League Baseball as we have just a couple of weeks to go. Uh, and there's very little interest in the White Sox. Very little. Uh, but I just wanted to let everybody know, uh, even if you are a Sox fan, we do talk about White Sox once in a while here. And uh, over the next year or two, I hope to be talking more about them. Ronaldo Lopez last night, he did the job. Seven innings, four hits, a walk, six strikeouts. White Sox beat the Orioles a final of two to nothing. Avi Garcia with his 18th home run. Also, Yolmer Sanchez with an RBI double driving in Moncada. White Sox had a chance to score more runs, but they kept trying to steal. They got thrown out three times trying to steal on the bases yesterday. Those were not good things. But for Lopez, last four starts really good. Now, it's tough. I heard Steve Stone say this on the broadcast last night. Tough being consistent in Major League Baseball. Uh, there were four games where the combined ERA for Ronaldo Lopez was in the eights. The last four games... Ronaldo Lopez, an ERA of 0.67, 27 innings, 15 hits, 6 walks, 28 strikeouts, a .778 whip, all four starts, 6-plus innings, and 1 or 0 runs. So nice pitching from a guy that wants to be in the starting rotation next year, and we'll see what happens with the White Sox as they are continuing to put it on the Baltimore Orioles. White Sox have now won three in a row, and they look to extend their winning streak later on today. Lucas Giolito going for the White Sox in Baltimore as uh, they have that one later on. If you want to jump on in, talk some Cubs baseball, 312-332-3776. We've got our MLB notebook coming up at 1030. One other note that I saw here, this must be from Chris Kamka because most of the stats I see are from Chris Kamka from NBC Sports Chicago. He's comparing Javi Baez and Juan Moncada strikeouts. Uh, Baez with 125 strikeout swinging this year. Yohan Moncada with 124 strikeout swinging. <laughs> Listen to this one. Javi with 21 strikeouts looking. Yohan Moncada with 72 strikeouts looking. 72 times he stood at home plate and took a call third strike. Now, I know it's a work in progress when young guys come to the big leagues, unless your name's Juan Soto. Or Clyber Torres or Andujar. <laughs> there are some guys that come up and uh, do real well right off the bat. Yon Moncada is one of them that's struggling right now. Uh, but 72 called third strikes. That's difficult. That's been difficult to watch this year for the White Sox and for White Sox fans. Back to the Cubs really quickly yesterday because they got some possible good news. We heard Joe Madden saying that really there is no closer right now. 
And Brandon Morrow had a chance to throw yesterday. He threw a uh, simulated game yesterday and said he felt good. I felt like I had a little more in the tank probably. I, um, I mean, I still only had two bullpens in a same game, so um, I don't think it would have been wise to see what I had full bore um, out there. I think uh, saving a little bit and maybe continuing to build up and hopefully continues to do that like a, like a spring training. You know, I don't usually go out and have my best stuff on my first day, so um, especially with some game adrenaline things will tick up uh but i thought my command was very good um my camp my camp's been free i don't feel like i'm holding back at all everything um feels good coming out and my command with my breaking stuff was was really good i thought and um you know plenty to compete and um you know throw the ball competitively tomorrow that's the last test um i expect to feel good enough and um so it was a successful day well we will see how brandon morrow feels today and if he can go very interesting thing happened the other day uh, I was listening to Waddle and Sylvie, and you should too, from 2 until 6 o'clock. On Fridays, they have Rick Sutcliffe on, Fridays at 5. And Tom Waddle asked uh, Rick Sutcliffe about Brandon Morrow. And uh, it's been said and continuing to be said that when Brandon Morrow, if and when Brandon Morrow comes back, he won't be thrown into closer spots right away. And when Tommy Waddle asked Rick Sutcliffe about that, Rick Sutcliffe kind of paused for a second and then laughed a little bit and said, well, that was before what's happened the last couple of days. Now, Rick's not the GM. Rick's not the manager. Um, Rick maybe has an opinion on what's going to happen. But this was a day after um, the Pedro Strope injury with Strope being down with a moderate hamstring strain for the rest of the regular season. So the Cubs not having one go-to guy, they'd love it to be Carl Edwards Jr. He's not pitching well enough. I don't know what's going on with Carl Edwards right now, but we'll wait and see. Um, Sutcliffe did think that if Morrow's ready to go, they may move, you know, maybe give him a shot in the middle of the uh, rotation or a middle of the game and then maybe, uh, you know, in a uh, late inning situation and then maybe go to a closer. Because right now it would be very, very difficult going into the postseason without a guy that you can count on to close games out. 312-332-3776. Cub fans, you want to jump on in? Otherwise, we're getting to some football because there is a lot of it. We'll do more baseball at around 1030 as we have our MLB roundup. Also, we've got stuff about Laz Diaz. we got some good stuff with Timmy Kirchin, the um, uh, baseball tonight guy, the guy from ESPN. He, uh, every once in a while, he does some things that, uh, I don't want to say it's up what's Tim Kirchin's can, what's up Tim Kirchin's can, but just things in baseball that bother him just a little bit. So we will talk about those, uh, in the uh, 1030 half hour between 1030 and 11. But let's talk some Bears. They get ready to take on the uh, Seattle Seahawks and, uh, the Bears. We all know what happened last Sunday. It was not happy. It was not pretty. Uh, the Bears have a 20 to nothing lead. I actually had a number here. Let's see if I can find it. So many stats, so many numbers. Uh, the Chicago Bears joined Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons from 2016 is the only teams since the 2006 season to lose entering the fourth quarter with a lead of at least 17 points. 
and we know what happened. There's been a lot of criticism all week long of the Bears, of play calling, of Matt Nagy, of the defense, of Vic Fangio. How do you let a hobbled uh, Aaron Rodgers beat you uh, with three touchdowns in the fourth quarter? And Mitchell Trubisky, you're really good at calling, you know, when the plays are scripted for you. But once they're not scripted, not so good. Matt Nagy during the week was asked about the offense that did struggle after the plays that were scripted. The script helped just because our guys were able to, they really could know what they were going to do. As, as most teams, you see a script, you understand what you can prep for it, whereas the unexpected, you don't always know it. So there's some, there's some um, um, stuff on the fly that you got to learn. And, and Green Bay did a good job of, uh, on defense. You know, they, they did a good job there as, too, there as well. But offensively, we just, we just didn't get it done with those, those four three and outs. Um, which we understand how important that is. And you have to work hand-in-hand hand with your defense. When your defense is playing as well as they were, um, then offensively you need to help them out and really try to put them away. And, and we didn't do that uh, in that second quarter. I thought our guys did. I'm going to continue to go back to it. In the fourth quarter, I think we had a 12- or 14-play drive and kicked a field goal. Now, not good enough. You need a touchdown. But that's, that's growth for us. And so now we've got to be better on third and short. Yeah, Nagy brings up a couple of good points. They did have a couple of nice drives in the second half. The problem was both of them ended in field goals. That can't happen. Now, the other thing on defense, after a great second quarter of defense, basically because of Khalil Mack, uh, what happened, Vic, in that fourth quarter? Uh, nothing changed in our approach. The only, you know, the biggest thing that happened was um, you know, we gave up two big pass plays. You know, so anytime you give up, those type of plays, um, that will give you the impression that everything has gone haywire. But everything didn't go haywire. It's just they made two really big plays. And, you know, the third and 14 conversion was a very big play in that game. For more Bears talk, we come back. I'm going to steal a segment from NBC Sports Chicago. Two bold predictions. We'll do that. We come back. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Bold predictions. Oh, yeah, we're going to steal something. And when I steal something, I want to let everybody know I'm stealing something. Fred Hubner back with you here till noon. I'll be back tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock, with Steve Mongo McMichael getting you ready for the Bears and the Seattle Seahawks. Get Arthur Arkis from Pro Football Weekly joining us around at 10 o'clock. We'll get into more of the sound from uh, the week as the team gets ready for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, NBC Sports Chicago. J.J. Stankovich, who we have on quite often, he, along with Cam Ellis, who works with him over at NBC Sports Chicago, they put together a segment called Two, that's T-O-O, Bold Predictions. Bold Predictions. That's right. Um, now, it's a weekly column, exactly what it sounds like. Um, they take nuanced, well-researched information, use it to make wildly improbable predictions. So I want to get your predictions for what you think is going to happen this week. This game, Monday night, and I don't mean score-wise, I mean individual-wise. And here's an example of what they pick, and I'll give you some of mine, and Eric has some of his. Um, J.J. Stankovic says that Eddie Jackson will have an interception and at least two more passes defended. Jackson talked about focusing on plastering receivers this week. 
after he missed breaking up Aaron Rodgers' game-winning pass to Randall Cobb. Russell Wilson pressured on 21 of 42 passing plays against the Broncos. Coupled with his mobility, expect a good amount of broken plays outside the pocket. Jackson will respond with a big game. That's one of uh, J.J.'s predictions. Another one. Mitch Trubisky will throw the longest touchdown of his career, and it'll be the to Taylor Gabriel. See, he's getting very specific with his. So if you want to make yours specific, go right ahead. 312-332-3776. He says Mitch Trubisky, to date, his longest touchdown pass, a 46-yarder to Josh Bellamy, who, by the way, Josh Bellamy gets called for holding on, like, the very first punt, very first time the Bears are getting the ball. Could Josh Bellamy please avoid special teams penalties? That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, that might even be one of your predictions. Um, Matt Nagy and the Bears building some opportunities for downfield shots against the Packers. Uh, weren't able to take any of them. Expect Trubisky to stretch the field a few times on Monday night, but that's not necessarily where this score will come from. Gabriel has touchdowns good for 64 and 76 yards with the Falcons. Uh, speedy wideout could be a short pass and a, a long run. So that is another one of JJ's predictions. I got mine coming up in a minute. Really quickly, Cam Ellis, who works at NBC Sports Chicago, he's got two. Allen Robinson gets his first two touchdown receptions of the season. Not one, but two. Robinson showed flashes last week. He actually played in 67 of the 70 offensive plays, which was quite a bit. And uh, second prediction from Cam, uh, Roquan Smith will outshine Khalil Mack. Well, that would be something because last week Smith played all of eight plays. Now we'll see if he can play more. It would be tough for Khalil Mack to do to top what he did last week. Uh, after he comes up with a sack, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, a interception, and a touchdown. It'd be very difficult to do that. So, two bold predictions. You want to jump on in? 312-332-3776. Predictions for the game tomorrow. I've got a couple for you. My first one might come as a surprise to some people. He had two last year. Fuller will have an interception. Oh, he's going to actually hold on to it? Yes, he will actually hold on to it, Eric. Wow! That's bold! (laughs) He will actually hold on to a ball thrown to him from Russell Wilson. Okay, so Kyle Fuller will have an interception. Here's another one. And this may not be as bold after last week, after we saw what happened last week. But I say that Jordan Howard will have four more receptions without a drop. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. There you so that'd go. That'd be good. That'd be nine for nine then, because he went five on yes, he last Sunday. So five then catches. Five nine catches. Nine for nine. He seemed to focus on it. We'll see. Yeah, that would be nice. And do you have any? I've got one more. I do. More. I've got a couple Let's hear. here. So Let's hear them. I don't know if this is bold or not. You tell me. I'm going to say Roquan Smith will play more snaps than Nick Kwiatkowski. Well, after when play, it all comes says, yeah, said and done. Yeah, the end done. of the day. Uh, I know a lot of Bears fans out there would like to see that. They're moving so slow with Roquan. I think they want to make sure they have him and he doesn't re-injure the hamstring at all. Uh, that might be a bold prediction. Bold predictions. Yeah. All right, count it. And then I'll say the Seattle Seahawks, as you know, their offensive line is injured, beat up, not very good. 
I'm going to say that our front seven, the Bears' D front seven, is going to come off and just eat up Russell Wilson. They'll have eight sacks Ooh, on Monday night. They had six. Denver had six last week with Von Miller having three of those. Yes. So six. So eight would be. Boy, I, I'm I'm saying uh, Roy Robertson Harris, who is becoming one of my all my favorite defensive linemen on this team. I think he will come up with at least two because those big arms of his. The one thing I would suggest to the Bears and to Vic Fangio and to the defensive line coach is when the defensive line is putting pressure on a quarterback, put your arms up in the air. I saw balls tipped all over the NFL last week, but none of them by the Bears. The Bears don't put their arms up when they're approaching the quarterback. They could have knocked down some of these Aaron Rodgers passes last week easily, in my opinion. Get your arms up in the air. I know it's difficult. You're pushing, you're pushing. You get close to the quarterback, you're not going to get there. Stick your arms up in the air. You don't know if you can defend or block a ball. Uh, One of mine actually has to do with the other side of the ball, Eric, and it is um, an interception-free game from Mitch Trubisky. Wow! That's bold! Now, I know that Earl Thomas is back there, but there's no Richard Sherman. The Legion of Boom is gone. You know, um... They have two linebackers down. Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, both not playing. I think that Mitch is going to have a nice throwing game. He's going to complete a big percentage of passes and no interceptions for Mitchell Trubisky. It'd be nice to see him to get get into a rhythm. Yeah. Like, like go through his progressions, get into a rhythm, and actually see this offense click more than just scripted plays on, on plays that they have drawn up at halftime and stuff like that. Yeah, it would be. It, it would be a lot. Hey, um, I see here that uh, Jadavian Clowney will miss the Houston-Texas game. This according to uh, Ian Rappaport. Titans are going to be without their three tackles and possibly Marcus Mariota. So there's the, throughout the day, we'll be giving you as many of these um, hits on players that are going to be out and active and inactives and things like that as we go along. Do you have one more? Because I got something I want to play because this made a lot of news this week. No, go ahead. I have it too. Well, this was, uh, and we're going to play something else that made some news from the NFL Network the other day. We're going to do that in just a couple minutes. But everybody that has Twitter or Facebook or any social media saw a picture, a screen grab of Mitchell Trubisky looking to throw a pass and a wide open Trey Burton in the end zone. And it looked like you could have driven a an 18-wheel truck through this hole. And Mitch didn't see him. And it was strange. And it made Mitch look bad. So Mitchell was asked about, what happened? How did you miss a guy like Trey Burton that wide open? Yeah, I'm sure everyone saw what I saw. And they're like, oh, Mitch, throw the wide open guy in the back of the end zone. And uh, trust me, I wish I would. Um, Tariq was the first option uh, in the flat. And then it was just, it's one of those plays where you just got like, how risky are you going to be? Are you going to take care of the football? So I checked it down. Well, we lost five yards, but we got three points out of it and went up 10 nothing. So that was the big positive takeaway for me. But moving forward, if I want to evolve into the quarterback I want to be, you got, you got, to, you got to take that opportunity. And I got to anticipate that even more. So that wasn't something that um, happened in practice at all that week, but you got to know as a quarterback if if that opens up, take your chances and get it to the guy wide open. But uh, it's it's a little less wide open when you're playing at full motion on film. When you got the still picture, which I'm sure a lot of people saw, it looks like I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, trust me, uh, I mean, 
I'm hard on myself. Uh, I mean, you, you want touchdowns, not field goals. So but I thought I put myself and, and my team in a good position in that instance, first quarter, check it down, three points, we're up 10 nothing. So Yeah, see, that was, that was big. I, I like that he actually poked some fun at himself. As soon as he said it and everybody laughed, I think he got a little more defensive. And, uh, you know, when you're when it's wide open, I'm sure that when he saw it, he felt worse than anybody. Um, you know, heck, if he took the Bears, you won with the points. So, you know, he couldn't feel that bad. But he did bring up another great point, and that is when you have these nice long drives, you got to you got to score touchdowns. And the Bears in this in the second half, even though they didn't play well, they did have a couple of nice drives to start the third quarter. They had a 12 play, 60 yard drive, and they had to settle for a 33 yard uh, Cody Parkey field goal. Then in the fourth quarter, they get the ball with 9:01 to go, first and 10 at the Bears 25. They march the ball 14 plays, 61 yards. They chew up six minutes and 22 seconds. Unfortunately, they get another Cody Parkey 32-yard field goal. That was one where a lot of people said, third and two, why don't you run the ball? They didn't. Trubisky threw an incomplete to uh, Miller. Then they kicked the field goal to go up six instead of going for the first down. A lot of people disagreed with that. It's just one game. There's 15 more to go. Hopefully, a lot of these things won't happen as we go further along. When we come back, a couple of uh, tremendous wide receivers go at each other. We'll talk about that when we come back. Fred Huebner with you. It's Chicago's Game Day till noon on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Huebner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Here till noon, we got some Bears talk with Arthur Arkus, your Pro Football Weekly Top of the Hour. Thursday night, the week got started with Cincinnati and Baltimore. And on the NFL Network broadcast, a couple of um, receivers, Michael Irvin and Steve Smith, going at each other just a little bit. Uh, give it a listen. It really kicks in in the second half of this. But give it a listen. They're talking about quarterbacks and wide receivers and things like that. Give it a listen. Michael Irvin, Steve Smith, the NFL Network on Thursday night. You give him those other receivers you've given him. That helps him on the other end. Right, I don't right, care how right. great I throw it. I got to have somebody to catch yeah. it. The last yeah. time I really had me one of those I trust you receivers, that was Anquan Bolt. And that was 2012. But I took it to the Super Bowl. Watch this uh, play of Michael Crabtree right here. You see what? this right here? What? Oh, what? Uh, yeah, wait, I skipped over Smitty. I'll get to you, Smitty. Just go right skip over there on Michael Crabtree right here. Most young receivers would try to high point this ball and go up and get it because that's what they tell them or go high point it. And yeah. so that would have taken them out of bounds. Yeah. Michael Crabtree saw this. He measured that ball with what I call his seeing speed, his ability to tell where that ball is going. Yeah. Maneuver his body. That's what I call one of those big guys. Steve, you're bad. Well, man. you standing you know up. You were bad, man. Because my knee hurt. You all right? Hey, you got hurt. excited. He's Stand up. Oh, like, hold on, stand on. So you tell me that they had a wide receiver since that quarter? But Steve, you, you played that and you got hurt, so and he had to go through it because you talked about it. Those injuries. I'm with you on I went through, yeah, I went through the injuries, but right, right. Anquan wasn't the only baller on there. Okay. Like, I, you got, I understand you have the rings, but I pass you statistically years. Oh, uh, uh, hold on. Uh, hang in there. I, I got enough right rings now. to let all y'all borrow one. Hang in there. You'll have some. Hang hang in there. Everybody I, don't you, I, I, I concur and I agree with your okay. rings, but all at right. the same time, it ain't no route I couldn't run that you hoped you could run. Oh! 
I like, I like the competition still on the I got set a, right now. I got a doctor in route runner. Like Talk about it. I got a doctor in route runner. Tell them about it. You got an associate's degree, play, bro. Let's communicate. They got three rings. Listen, Absolutely. So we've got you covered right here from field level. That's right. Stadium, it's starting to fill up, guys. These two. Charles Haley. Yeah, some great ones over there. Have some great ones. So Michael Irvin's trying to say that, you know, Baltimore Ravens, they really didn't have anybody, but now they have, you know, Michael Crabtree before this. They didn't have anybody since Anquan Bolden. There was Steve Smith sitting there. I love how just she's trying to move on and they will not. Yeah. He's just naming Troy Aikman, yeah. Emmett Smith, I got Leon Lett. Yeah, I got more rings. I can give each one of you a ring and still have more. <laughs> and then Steve Smith had some good stuff. I had a college and route running. You had just an associate's degree. Some good stuff there on the NFL Network. And uh, they needed it because, uh, I don't know, the, the game was weird because uh, Cincinnati got out to such a big lead early. And it was uh, interesting to hang on. Joe Mixon out for a couple of weeks after what happened with him with a knee injury. Quickly, let's grab uh, John on the north side. John, what's going on? Okay, I want a couple of baseball and football, okay? Yeah, quickly. Okay, first football. Uh, Hopefully, when they get down to crunch time, that they'll go, uh, they'll decide to run the ball on like third and two or fourth and and one or something like that. That would be nice. uh, All right, okay. And as far as baseball, I'm going to ask you this question. Now, this is computer. Do you think that Jim Riggleman used to work for the uh, Cubs, right? He was the manager? Yeah. Do you think that he's secretly taking the pitchers out for Cincinnati so he can hopefully he can help the Cubs out? By, you know, because they, they ain't hitting a lick for the last month. No, you know what? I don't think so. And I, I like the way Jim Riggleman manages. And you think about it, John, we appreciate the call. The Reds have done really well with Jim Riggleman as a skipper. And uh, they've done really well. They've been a really tough team in the second half uh, since he's taken over this team. So uh, I don't think he's letting them win. He wants to win as many games as he can. We come back. A lot of Bears conversation. Arthur Rockers Pro Football Weekly here at ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. No, no, no. My, my body was ready for uh, was ready to play the game. I was juggling with one of my coaches, Coach Staley. I was like, yeah, my body missed uh, getting beat up. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, that's what it's used to. And so, yeah, I feel good, though. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Uten on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, Khalil Mack, his body missed getting beat up. Man, oh, man. Football players are different. There's no doubt about it. Fred Huebner with you till 12 noon. Talking a lot of uh, Cubs early. We'll get into some baseball bottom of the hour. The MLB notebook. Got some Tim Kirchin stuff. Also, Laz Diaz acting the fool as an umpire. We're going to talk to Arthur Arkish of Pro Football Weekly in just one second. Just wanted to get out there for all those uh, Cub fans out there getting ready for the uh, the series finale against the Reds. Here's the lineup. No Javi and no Chris Bryant today. Anthony Rizzo playing first, leading off. Tommy LaStella at third base. Ben Zobrist is in right field. Daniel Murphy at second base hitting fourth. Victor Caratini behind the plate. So I guess no Wilson Contreras either. Uh, Ian Happ in center field. Addison Russell at short. Jose Quintana pitching and batting eighth. David Bodie is in left field. Uh, Luis Castillo going for the Reds. Castillo's not bad. He's pitched pretty well this year. Uh, against the Cubs. Um, I don't know his numbers, but I mean, I've watched him pitch and he looked pretty good against them. Javi, Bryant, and uh, Contreras all uh, starting the game on the bench. This guy's not on the bench. He doesn't have time to sit down. The NFL season's underway. He's got a kid. All kinds of things are going on. Arthur Arkish, Pro Football Weekly. Arthur, how are you today? 
I'm doing great, Fred. What's happening? How are you this morning? I'm doing good. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow night. Uh, Khalil Mack, uh, the, the cut we played coming in, saying his, his body missed getting beat up. You've never had that situation, have you? Well, his wrist would have been thrilled then to have the uh, the ice pack bigger than my head on it uh, after the game Sunday night. I was impressed with that. He said he was fine, though. Um, my buddy, uh, my body always feels beat up, and uh, I'm always missing the days when it didn't. But what are you going to do? That uh, <laughs> no, was uh, obviously just a game changing performance from Mac, and uh, good to again hear that that ice pack and whatever wrist issue he was dealing with in the post game uh, obviously not serious uh, as he was on the practice field all week. How surprised were you of the impact that he made right off the bat, or you knowing the kind of player he is, did it not surprise you at all? Well, I mean, I, I thought he was going to be effective. I didn't think he was going to put together one of the great first-half stat lines that we've seen in recent NFL history. So, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know what else you could say. I mean, he, he was uh, a dominant force. He made his teammates better, clearly. Uh, Roy Robertson-Harris benefiting maybe as much as anyone else. Although I don't want to short Roy Robertson-Harris either, who looks like he might have some star potential of his own. Um, and then, you know, unsurprisingly, I, I think he did run out of the gas a little bit. The whole defense did, and... That's why you uh, relish the extra day this week to get ready for Seattle, the extra week of not only uh, you know recuperation but preparation for some of these guys who've just kind of gotten added to the fold. And that's why I think we'll get a, an even truer indication of what this Bears defense can look like over the span of 60 minutes uh, come tomorrow night. I think Roquan Smith's going to be a, a huge part in that, too. I should just throw out there. I was going to ask you about uh, Roquan, and I will in a second, but staying with the the line, Roy Robertson-Harris played really well. Big, tall guy. He can get in. He's quick. He was fun to watch. Uh, Akeem Hicks in the first half, really good. He looked. I wrote down in a, a notepad, I was saying, he looked unblockable. Then in the second second half, he looked hard to find. Um, <laughs> you know, And unfortunately, that's been a problem with Akeem Hicks. He came out like a ball of fire, and I'm not sure how much it has to do with conditioning, but I was I'm not, I was going to leave Hicks alone. I had to throw in that little shot there. Um, but Goldman and Bullard, how important is this line? The development of this line. These two guys are key factors, especially after Goldman just got paid, aren't they? Oh yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Goldman has shown now when he's been able to stay healthy that he is one of the bigger difference making nose tackles in the game. Uh, the, the question is whether he can give you a little bit more push on third down. And, and frankly, with some of the new additions, I'm not sure the Bears need that from him. Uh, but yes, everyone knows the importance of, uh, of what he does, all Vic Fangio defenses. We talk about the linebackers often, but it does all start up front. Uh, Goldman's ability to occupy blockers is what helps, you know, that's what's going to help, uh, the speed of Trevathan and Smith truly shine. So, uh, Bullard, I think he had the same number of snaps as Roy Robertson Harris, obviously not quite as impactful. Um, but he'll keep coming on too. I mean, the more guys you feel comfortable that you can rotate in, the more everyone's going to stay fresh, guys like Akeem Hicks. Uh, and Goldman, and so on and so forth. So uh, good problems to have as the depth kind of uh, improves there. And, yeah, I'm not too worried about Hicks. Yes, he was. everyone was, was more noticeable in the first half than they were in the second half. And I think at some point we just have to tip our cap to Aaron Rodgers and, and in this instance, to Mike McCarthy for recognizing they needed to speed things up, they needed to go with the quicker passing game, and uh, they were just getting the ball out before the Bears could really do much. That's when you're relying more on your coverage. And, unfortunately, there were a few big uh, breakdowns that really ended up being the difference in the game. I have to tell you, when I'm watching a game the other day, I look and I go, who's this Who's this big white guy on the Bears? Or who's this big guy on the Bears' defensive line? 
Aaron Lynch, I had no idea what he looked like because he hadn't played at all. And I, it's like yeah. all of a sudden, here come the Bears. I'm going, did they just pick this guy off the streets? Now, he, he didn't have much of an impact when he played. Obviously, they expect him to play a little bit more as things go on in a, in a little bit of a rotation. I was surprised Sam Achu only had like, I think, 10 or 11 snaps. That, that surprised me just a little bit. Uh, but the Roquan Smith situation, he only had eight snaps. His first one, obviously, one he'll never forget. I don't think any Bears fan will as he gets, he gets past everybody. Uh, Khalil Mack is at the feet of Aaron Rodgers, and all of a sudden, Roquan Smith tackles him. Do you think this is all just waiting and being being 100% sure that he's as far from this hamstring injury as possible, or do you think there's more learning that he still needs to do? Well, I think it's probably a combination of the two, but more of the latter. I actually asked Danny Trevathan Sunday night after the game uh, what he could tell me about Vic's plan for the linebackers, and uh, kind of their snaps going in, and he just said we were looking to have Roquan on standby uh, and being ready and continuing to learn things. So uh, in the first half, you know, they didn't need him until Trevathan goes down. Obviously, the defense is dominating, uh, but you saw there Nick Kwiatkowski's limitations, I think, in coverage uh, uh, exposed a little bit more as, as the game went on, and that's, you know, one of the primary reasons I, accept, I expect to see uh, if Roquan's not starting Monday night, he's definitely going to have more snaps, a lot more, I think, than Kwiatkowski. So, yeah, I, don't, I think they're just playing it safe. They understand uh, he's really the second most important defensive asset that they have, and uh, uh, they don't want to do anything that's going to potentially delay the impact he can make on a down-to-down basis even more. So uh, an encouraging start. I think he got eight snaps. Danny Trevathan called his sack. <clears throat> excuse me, called his sack a scavenger sack. I love that term. I hadn't heard it before. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of just a hustle deal. You mentioned Matt kind of set the table for him. Uh, Smith was coming on the blitz and was able to clean it up. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, good start for him. And, and again, uh, think about the last two matchups Roquan Smith had in college football. It was Baker Mayfield, and then it was the Alabama tandem of Jalen Hurts and, and Tua. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name sure. still. Uh, but I think that that's really relative here as we get ready to, to look at Russell Wilson and, and what this defense is going to try and do, keeping him in the pocket. Not only the big stage that Smith uh, shined on, but just those particular matchups. I actually wrote about that for our Bears newsletter uh, that I think went out yesterday. So uh, the Bears know that. They, they they know what to expect from Smith in these types of uh, these types of games, and that's why I'm so excited for tomorrow night. Well, before we go any further, how do the how do people listening get the uh, newsletter? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, we have a new uh, Pro Football Weekly Bears uh, subscription model. You can get, uh, I mean, you, can, you can't miss it if you're following us on social media or at the website, uh, but go sign up for it now. You get a free month free. I think it's 60 bucks for a year. We also send you all three of our summer magazines in addition to the Bears coverage from Hub and Laguerre and Edholm and myself. Uh, so, yeah, we feel really excited about it, and, and so far the response has been really positive. So thank you for asking, and uh, the listeners should definitely go check it out if they haven't already. I would think uh, Bears defense and Vic Fangio have to be a little bit excited with Russell Wilson coming in for a couple reasons. One, his top receiver, Baldwin's down. Their their right tackle had his problems. Again, covering, you know, trying to defend against Von Miller wasn't easy. Well, now he's got Khalil Mack, and you would think he needs some help. So, you know, that, that would mean that Hicks won't, maybe won't be able to be double teamed i was surprised that hicks was double teamed as much as he was and it seemed like they just left balaga out there to take care of khalil mack and we saw that you know he did sometimes but khalil mack was able to get past him after six sacks last week and the way russell wilson does move around and now one less receiver i would think the bears defense should come up with a really good outing tomorrow yeah, I would too. Uh, certainly, you, you kind of alluded to, you know, not only Jermaine Effetti, he's one of the worst offensive linemen in football. He continues to get chances because 
well, it's kind of by default. Not only is it a first-rounder, but Seattle just literally doesn't have anything better to try out there. So, um, yeah, he's going to have his hands absolutely full. And, and just think about the inexperience. Uh, even the guys that they're going to ask for chip help in the tight ends. you got a rookie in Will Disley, I think a second-year player in Nick Vanette. Yep. Uh, your running backs, a rookie in Rashad Penny, a second-year player in Chris Carson. So, yeah, the protection plan for Russell Wilson uh, is, is more than a little precarious, and that's certainly – uh, you know, should be advantageous for the Bears. And, and kind of what you were describing with the deciding on doubling Hicks versus doubling Mack and how they should handle it, it's that pick your poison kind of, you know, it's what the Bears uh, front is kind of epitomizing these days. You look in, uh, you know, cities like Minnesota and Philadelphia and you see the same thing. It's kind of just the more horses you have, the, the more flexibility you have and in in as much as you can limit the opposition. So uh, it's going to be fun. Wait until these guys really get going. You're going to start seeing the line games with Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack. You get Leonard Floyd in there. Uh, the way they, these guys are going to play off each other, barring health, uh, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I think it's going to be really effective consistently for the Bears. Another couple minutes with Arthur Arkish from Pro Football Weekly. How did you feel Mitchell Trubisky handled himself, not necessarily on the field, but this week when everything came out with the, the screenshot and the screen grab of the Trey Burton wide open in the end zone and all those kind of things. How did you think Trubisky handled himself and how do you think he'll do going forward? Because this is, you know, I, I'm a little more patient with quarterbacks and starting pitchers than a, than a lot of people are. Uh, there were a lot of people screaming from high heavens about all of the misses that Trubisky had. Now, granted, the miss in the bat, in the corner of the end zone on the second series when he misses Allen Robinson, that can't happen. He had him open. Robinson had a beat. You got to complete that. But, you know, Trubisky is not going to go from a guy that had a, a, a really bad offensive plan to all of a sudden a Pro Bowl quarterback in, in one game. How did you think he handled himself? Why not? On the field and then also off the field this week. Yeah, I mean, you did a good job of pointing out certainly that one miss, and, and there were several more. He actually missed Allen Robinson again late in the game down the right sideline. Another big opportunity to, to give the Bears a win. Uh, we have all seen the uh, the infamous screenshot now with Trey Burton wide open in the back of the end zone. Uh, that was an opportunity, I think, earlier in the game. So, uh, yeah, he missed some opportunities, and I think he lamented uh, not taking a few uh, a few more kind of layups, if you will, late on that final drive when he was pushing the ball downfield when they didn't need much. They only needed about 20, 30 yards to get in the field goal range, and for whatever reason, they were all trying to get it on one play. So, um you know, it's weird because I think the end result of that game was largely what we predicted, that Mitch was going to be uneven, that you were going to see the newness of the whole operation from the scheme to his pass catchers. Uh, but then you have, you know, 12 plays, 86 yards and a touchdown to start things out. You got this exciting second drive, and it seems like we all forget about the original reasonable expectations. Those all go out the window. So, um, yeah, Mitch left some plays on the field. He made some brilliant ones, too. It was largely what I expected. And as far as how he handled it off the field this week, responding to, I think it was Dan Durkin's screenshot and what we just said, you got to, you know, you got to know when to, to take opportunities and when not to. Uh, I loved what he said. He, I thought he showed the exact right mix of humility, of awareness, um, and, and just uh, of learning that, I, you know, you feel confident he's going to fix it moving forward. So uh, I don't want to come off like a Mitch Trubisky apologist. Uh, you know, some people, I guess, think that there's been too much of that this week. That's not going to be me. But at the same time, uh, let's not ignore the fact that he had 13 starts in college and that he had no chance last year. Um, so it's got to get better, but we've always thought it was going to look better in the second half of his second season uh, than in the first. I think what you're looking for is uh, you know, no steps back from on a week-to-week -week basis. 
Uh, you just want to continue to see that gradual improvement and make sure that he's learning from the mistakes that we mentioned. It's amazing how you know we all become head coaches and quarterbacks and, and offensive play callers uh, sitting on our couches, and obviously you guys right. working in the business a little, you watch it even a little bit more carefully than a lot of the, the fans out there do. But you know the third and two, which probably could have been the third and one if they would have reviewed the spot, and they decided to throw the ball to Anthony Miller, incomplete, and then they kicked the field goal to go up six. What were your thoughts when you were watching the game about them throwing the ball on third and two after they did have an opportunity? You run the ball, get a first down, and maybe you win this game. Yeah, you know, I wanted to see Jordan Howard more involved. I mean, he was their most dominant player on the field in the second half, and for him to only end up with 15 carries and I think 20 touches overall, 20 touches isn't anything to, you know, turn our noses up at, but I thought he definitely could have had, you know, another 8 to 10 or whatever. And, yeah, the Bears, that game may turn out a little bit differently. So um, the truth is, watching it live Sunday night, I, I wasn't watching as closely as I would have liked to because I was furiously rewriting whatever I was working on, like sure. uh, many of my fellow scribes up in the press box. But having a chance to look back on it, and it sounded to me like maybe Matt Nagy admitted as much that, that that's something potentially he would have done a little bit differently. And uh, he's still learning, too. Again, it, you know, it's his first time out ever as a, a you know juggling the play-calling and the delegating and the overseeing of an entire uh, operation. So, um, you, again, what's important is that he learns from them. But, yeah, you don't want him to forget about your best player on the field. And to me, that was pretty clearly uh, Jordan Howard. He looked like he was on the verge of being unstoppable. Uh, so you never want to see it when his own team is the one stopping him. And I think, unfortunately, that's what we saw. Even though the fans and everybody that follows the team probably felt good and surprised that uh, five passes and five targets to Jordan Howard all came out of catches, he probably had to be the most happy because when you get five catches, you catch them all, you know that they're going to continue to work him in. They told us right. that they were going to use him in the passing game. I'm not sure how much of a, we all believed him, but I think after watching those five passes, we know that they are going to use him until other things happen. Yeah, and, and let me be clear. I believed him because I think it was absurd to write off a 23-year-old Pro Bowl running back and think he can't do something just because he's rarely been given the opportunity to do it. So uh, thrilled to see that Matt Nagy did follow up on what he said he was going to do. You have to understand, I know you do, Fred, but for your listeners, the more that you can, the more the, the greater aura of sort of unpredictability that you can create for the opposition, the better off you're going to be. So everyone knows Tariq Cohn is this route running specialist and he's the guy who's going to be the change up in the pass catcher. But man, if you can uh, convince the opposition that Jordan Howard can do it just as capably, which certainly he did Sunday night, a couple of those catches high degree of difficulty, we should add, uh, it's going to be better for the whole offense. So um, yeah, I absolutely think he can do it. I mean, there were a couple drops in big moments last year and that's why he kind of got this rep, but uh, it it takes these guys time. I mean, he just started doing it. So uh, very encouraging to see, and again, it's just going to open up uh, the different dimensions of the offense, and uh, it really makes everyone better if you feel like you can do that. It's so nice that it's not a one-game season and there's 15 more of these, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I can't <laughs> wait till tomorrow night. I know the Bears probably appreciate the extra day, not so much having to wait all day tomorrow, but... Uh, there should be some fun stuff uh, to, to enjoy today as we kind of bide our time. Yeah, there's no doubt. Arthur, we appreciate it as always. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll keep you keep checking out Pro Football Weekly as much as we can. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Please do. Thanks so much, Fred. Have a great day.
Arthur Arkish, Pro Football Weekly, nice enough to jump on in for a few minutes as uh, the Chicago Bears get ready to take on Seattle. That's right, they get the day off, but then it's got to be tough waiting all day, uh, you know, for the Monday night game. It it, it kind of throws you off a little bit, these, these night games, a Thursday night game, a uh, Sunday night game, and then a Monday night contest. You get to sit around, you watch... You know, you run through a uh, walkthrough or something today, and then you you sit down, watch the other teams play, and you go from there. Uh, speaking of that that play with uh, the screen grab with Trey Burton wide open, uh, we heard the response from Mitchell Trubisky. Here's what um, head coach Matt Nagy had to say about that situation. They played zone on that play, and and uh, they dropped some guys, so they had they had an extra hat in there. Um, so. You know, it, it's it's uh, Trey on that play is one of the options, but he's a he's later on in the progression. So that's not that's not Mitch's fault for for not seeing that. Now you're gonna you know I know there's some again I'm gonna go to the bird's eye view. It's easy to say yeah he was wide open, but uh, that was good defense by them. They made a good play. You give him credit for making a good defensive call. Yeah, you do give him credit, but you know every once in a while you see something like that and people just jumped on that situation right off the bat. Uh, Pete Carroll brings his team into town and he gives his first impression of what he saw from Mitchell Trubisky. He's really athletic. Um, he he uh, ran the ball seven times in the game, you know, so he was out and going, uh, took off in a couple scrambles. They, they utilized him to run the ball with him. Um, he's got good good suddenness to him, you know, it can make people miss a little bit. So he, he, that part stood out. He, had, he has a really strong arm. He threw some great balls in the game. I mean, he had a nice night completion percentage-wise. You know, 23 for 35 is a big night. Um, so, uh, you know, he looked good. And, you know, they, they've got a nice running game to complement a young quarterback, which is just how you like to do it. And, and um, so he complimented well. You know, you wish, you wish the young guy, uh, you know, kind of makeup would, would – be difficult, you know, and we could take advantage of that. But the young quarterbacks are so well prepared. Um, they're so much farther along than they used to be. And, and uh, you know, Mitchell did, he did a really nice job. And they were trying all kinds of stuff at him. He he, he was good, you know, in, in, the, in the first game out uh, this year. So, I don't know, you know, you always hope that you can get a guy that, you know, he's, he's shown things that he hadn't seen before and it makes him uh, change his rhythms and stuff like that. And you can pressure him and you, you try to mix the stuff up. But, um, you know, I got a lot of respect for these guys. These guys have played a lot of football, and they, it's hard to fool them. Uh, they're well coached and well schooled and well systemed and, and all that. And, and uh, but we're still going to try. You know, we'll still try and see if we can make it hard on them. Yeah, they are going to try. It's going to be difficult for them because they are down a couple of players. They do have Earl Thomas, but their secondary is not what it used to be. Richard Sherman's now in San Francisco. Two of their linebackers, Bobby Wagner, who's all over the field, he is going to miss the game. K.J. Wright also going to miss the contest for them. Not going to make it very easy for the defense against Mitchell Trubisky. I'm, I'm eager to see what the Bears do offensively after that first drive. Yeah, even the second drive, unfortunately, ended with a field goal instead of a touchdown. If, in fact, the Bears go up 14 nothing, who knows what happens in that contest uh, against Green Bay. But it was nice to see the Bears get off to a nice start. I'm, uh, no doubt they want to do that in front of their home crowd tomorrow when they take on Seattle. we got some baseball talk coming up. Bottom of the hour, our MLB uh, notebook. But first, let's go on out to Rolling Meadows. My buddy John. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, guys, real quick. You know, uh, the Bears, unfortunately, uh, are going to have to face two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in their first two games with Wilson this week, and we know about Green Bay. The thing I called to talk to you about, yep. and maybe you can talk to your friend there, 
a Hall of Fame quarterback can make weak receivers look really well. And that's what Wilson's going to have to do this year if they're going to be anything in their division and make the playoffs. And I think because of the fact that when a, a receiver drops a pass and goes back to the huddle, you know he's going to go right back to him. And the Bears have to know that to get his confidence back up. And that's the kind of quarterback Wilson is. He's a Hall of Famer. And he's going to make his receivers, although right now there are no names at the end of the year. I'll bet you they won't be no well, names. And, you know, and John, we appreciate the call. They do have a couple of guys that stepped up. Their tight end, Disley, had three catches for a touchdown. Lockett with a touchdown. And uh, Brandon Marshall, the former Bear, also grabbed a touchdown. Looked really good in the, the game. He had three catches. So we'll talk more about Seattle. We'll be here tomorrow with Mongo from 6 to 7.30. We come back, a lot of baseball talk right here at ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Fred Huebner with you till noon. We'll talk with Mark Gonzalez about an hour from now from the Tribune as the Cubs get ready to wrap up their series with the Reds. We'll get to the uh, lineup in just a little bit. Uh, first, let's go around Major League Baseball. And what do you know? The Cleveland Indians became the first team to clinch their division this season. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Central Division title. And for the third year in a row, Cleveland, you will have another October to remember. The Indians bury the Detroit Tigers on September 15th of 2018 as they win their 10th Central Division title, their third in a row, and they do it in resounding fashion with a combined two-hit shutout the Indians roll 15 to nothing, and the Indians between second base and the pitcher's mound, jumping up and down as a group. They'll be joined by the rest of the ball club, and let the party begin in Cleveland. It's official. The Indians have a date for October. Yes, they certainly do. Highlights courtesy WTAM, and it wasn't even close. 15 nothing, the final score. For the Tigers, uh, talk about taking advantage of an easy division. The Indians are the only team to clinch their division so far. Now, despite that fact, they're actually 18 and a half games back of the Red Sox, 10 games back of the Astros. They're also eight games worse than the Yankees and six and a half worse than the Athletics. The only other division they'd be leading is the National League West. They'd be leading by a game and a half. They'd be tied with the Braves in the NL East. They'd be in third place in the NL Central, the AL West, and the AL East. So how they clinch? Well, listen to this. The AL Central has been so bad, aside from Cleveland. As a whole, the AL Central has a 380 win percentage in non-division games. According to Elias Sports Bureau, that would be, by far, the worst win percentage by any division in non-divisional games in Major League Baseball history. Current worst is 412. 
It's 380 right now. As for the Indians, they're 43 and 22 against their fellow AL Central teams this season compared to 40 and 43 against the others. So congratulations, I guess, to the Indians. They clinch the American League Central. The Dodgers, well, they're back on top of the NL West thanks to Yasiel Puig. Puig out to the gap. This is blasted. Bader looking, and this is gone. Number 19 for Puig and his third in less than 24 hours. This is rope scalded down by the pole. Puig has done it again. He knows it. Back-to-back multi-homer games. Yasiel Puig with 20 on the campaign. That gets underneath this one. Oh, no, Ozuna is watching it sail. Number three. Yasiel Puig is leaving nothing but scorched earth in St. Louis. Well, if people are watching this game, we're going to see more youngsters lick their bat if they can produce home runs like that. Yeah, that's what happened. You lick your bat and you hit three home runs. Yasiel Puig with three blasts. Dodgers right now have a half-game lead over Colorado. L.A. on top of the NL West. The Rockies are a half-game back. Arizona has fallen to four games off the pace. So uh, the Dodgers... Um, trying to, uh, you know, make a little push here, getting into the postseason for a while there. About two weeks ago, I didn't think the Dodgers were going to make it. I thought Arizona was going to do well. Then Colorado took over. This is one amazing division, the National League West. Again, Dodgers, a half-game lead over Colorado. Arizona is four games back. Arizona also, as I turn the page to my wild card standings, are three and a half back in the wild card. Milwaukee leads the wild card. Colorado is second. St. Louis a half game back of Colorado. And then Arizona three and a half games back. The Yankees, well, they're doing okay. They pretty much have the first wild card in the American League. Well, they thought it was sewed up right now. They only have a one-and-a-half game lead over Oakland, but uh, they got some power yesterday. That one's drilled. Left field. Going back, Hernandez. Trap. Wall. Leaps. See ya. A grand slam for Andujar. And the Yankees are back in it. Toronto leads 8-7. Yep. The uh, Yankees are a team that uh, they've got power. They've got some pitching. Uh, Severino pitched so well at the start of the season. We'll see if they can keep it all together. But the A's are chasing them down. And for me, that's good to see. I like seeing the Oakland A's uh, play as well as they are. Uh, Yankees uh, yesterday get a uh, victory. Uh, final score of that one was... Uh, actually, they lost yesterday 7-6. They did get the grand slam there. Uh, let's see what else we got. Charlie Morton and the Astros. Uh, Morton is 15th win. 10-4 win over Arizona. Right now, they are three and a half games up on Oakland in the division. So the A's are battling, not only in the division, three and a half back of uh, Houston. They are in the wild card and a game and a half back of getting home field in that wild card. We talk about Mike Trout a lot. And I had Mike Trout stats here. I'll get to in a second. But Trout and Otani... Um, Went back-to-back yesterday. First time they've done it all all season. Back-to-back home runs. 6-5 loss to Seattle. Trout, year-to-year, on-base percentage. Okay, everybody, you know, forget about averages and everything else. On-base percentage is where it's at. Listen to this from Mike Trout. From 2012 on, 399, 432. He took a dip to 377. Then 402. 
441, 442, 466 for on base. He's accumulated 1,179 hits, 686 walks, 235 homers, 786 runs. He just turned 27. He is waiting. The Angels want to give him an extension. He's waiting because he wants to see what kind of money guys like Machado and Bryce Harper get because he wants to make sure he doesn't leave any money on the table. So that's interesting. What else is interesting is if you love pitching, you may want to check out the Mets and the Red Sox. Now, the Mets are bad, but it is a battle of probably the NL Cy Young Award winner and the AL Cy Young Award winner, at least good possibilities. Jacob DeGrom goes for the Mets today. He's 8-9 and nine with a 171 ERA. Chris Sale, 12-4 and four with a 196 ERA. So what a battle in Boston today. Mets and Red Sox, DeGrom against Sale. So quickly, a look at the standings. Boston up by 10.5 on the Yankees. Cleveland clinches their division. Houston, a 3.5 game lead over Oakland. In the NL East, Atlanta, 6.5 better than Philly. The Cubs by 2.5 over Milwaukee. St. Louis, 6.5 back. And the Dodgers have a half game lead over Colorado. Arizona is 4 off the pace. In the wild card, Yankees have a game and a half lead over Oakland. Those are the two wild card teams. Seattle is seven and a half back. So it's going to be the Yankees and Oakland in the wild card, unless the A's catch Houston. In the National League wild card, Milwaukee right now has a three and a half game lead over Colorado. Right now, today, those are the two wild card teams. St. Louis has fallen back. They're a half game behind Colorado for the second wild card. Arizona, three and a half back. Quickly, the lineup for today. At the friendly confines, they look for the three-game sweep over the Cincinnati Reds. Javi, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras are all resting before they get on a plane and go to Arizona for a three-game set with the Diamondbacks. And it'll be Anthony Rizzo leading off, playing first. Listella at third base, hitting second. Ben Zobrist, who had two of the four hits yesterday, is in right field. Daniel Murphy, when's he going to start hitting the ball again? He is hitting cleanup. Playing second base. Victor Caratini behind the plate, hitting fifth. Ian Happ is in center field. Addison Russell at short. Jose Quintana on the hill. Quintana's been so good of late. And David Bodie is playing left field today. He is hitting ninth. We come back. Got some stuff about Laz Diaz from Deadspin. A nice article there. And also Timmy Kirchin with five statements that uh, should get baseball fans a chuckle here and there. Fred Hubner with you till noon. A lot more baseball talk, some NFL talk at 11 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. We'll hit you with some actives and inactives. Top of the hour. Mark Gonzalez in the Tribune, hoping to join us around 11.30. We'll get a look at the NFC North games that are being played today. Some baseball stuff uh, from Deadspin. Sensitive umpire Laz Diaz turns baseball game into an extended temper tantrum. Home plate umpire Laz Diaz lost his mind in the middle innings of Friday night's uh, Nationals-Braves game. Bottom of the fifth inning, Braves at bat. Diaz jumped up and started screaming at Bryce Harper who was 150 feet away in center field. Diaz was upset at Harper for expressing the mildest displeasure with a called strike in the top of the inning. That was weird enough. 
Nationals manager Davey Martinez asked Diaz to calm down and, you know, focus on the actual game. Eventually, the umpire was convinced to allow the game to continue, but chirped at Harper once more between innings. The drama continued. Seventh inning, Harper at the plate, two and one count. Braves reliever Jesse Biddle threw an outside curve, missed the plate by a good six inches. Diaz, perhaps still looking for an opportunity to burn Harper, rang it up for another called strike and stared Harper down as Harper again expressed displeasure. After the game, Braves win. Harper took the high road, suggested, though, that sometime or something Diaz said to him was bad enough that it being overheard by Braves catcher Tyler Flowers was apparently significant. Martinez suggested that MLB, quote, needs to take a look at Diaz's confrontational behavior. Uh, from Martinez, umpires are supposed to be non-confrontational. They're supposed to uphold the peace on the baseball field. For me, I think MLB needs to take a look at that. That's all I'm going to say. I've known Lance for a long time. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. But we are in a pivotal moment in the game. He's saying things to Harp. And I thought it was uncalled for. Laz Diaz, just call the game, balls and strikes, and that's all you need to do. And if guys disagree with you, which they're going to do, just be quiet and take it. Tim Kirchin, this is interesting, at least to me. Five statements, all spectacularly unimportant and all worthy of interpretation. These are not the rants of some pedantic little twit, just the harmless observations made by a guy who loves the game and clearly has too much time on his hands. Here we go. Timmy Kirchin says, tie goes to the runner is a myth. There is nothing in the official rule book about a tie going to a runner. No umpire, at least on the MLB level, calls a runner safe because of a tie. The runner is either safe or out, period. Okay, number two. I used to have a coach who would always say, tie does not go to the runner, tie goes to the ump, because he doesn't see ties, he sees safe and out. There you go. And that's exactly what Timmy Kirchin says there. Here's another one. If the runner reaches base on an error by the pitcher and then scores, that is and should be an unearned run. ERA is designed to determine a pitcher's effectiveness as a pitcher, not as a fielder. Because there are a lot of people that say, well, hold it. If the pitcher creates or commits an error, it should still be an earned run against him. Well, that's that's not true. And ERA, and he's right there. It's based on a pitcher's effectiveness, not, you know, as a pitcher, not a fielder. Another one, and Murph is all over this one all the time. When a hitter is beaned, it means he's hitting the head with a pitch. A hitter isn't beaned if he is hit in the leg. This one was interesting to me. The catcher and the first baseman wear a mitt. A mitt doesn't have fingers. Everyone else on the field wears a glove, which has fingers. Never thought of it that way. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it does <laughs> make sense. Uh, it's a lot of first baseman's gloves have like three fingers. Yeah, those are similar because they have like basically the whole palm is, or the, the right. outside of your hand are all connected. Right, and then the netting and stuff. And last, a drag bunt is executed only when a left-handed hitter drags a bunt to the right side of the infield. Hitters can't push a bunt or drop a bunt, or they can, I'm sorry. Hitters can push a bunt or drop a bunt, but there's only one drag bunt. That's exactly right. Only when a left-hander drags it down the first baseline. I didn't know people said otherwise, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't know it, but it must have said it just once or twice enough for Tim Kirchner to get riled. Yeah, like a righty it. trying to get a bump for a hit, yeah. saying he dragged it. Yep, that happens. Uh, the other day, I don't know if you knew this, Nolan Arenado, 34 and 100, the fourth player in Colorado history, four straight years to go uh, 30 and 100. Trevor Story, 33rd homer, he breaks Tulewitzki's record for home runs by a shortstop for the Rockies. 
And right now they find themselves a half game behind the Dodgers in the West. More football news. We'll get to some inactives and much more after this on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day. Deep to left field and it is there. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. Base is clean. You see Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. And then we've got football. One of the better games of the day. Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Should be fun. Kansas City's offense, all kinds of fun to watch. And uh, the Bears, Seahawks go at it tomorrow. We'll hear from Matt Nagy. We'll hear from Leonard Floyd and Trey Burton, Adrian Amos in just a little bit as they get ready to try and slow down a Seattle Seahawks team. Last week, Seattle losers in Denver and uh, the Broncos, Von Miller had a day. He had three sacks, six sacks on the day against Russell Wilson. So we will uh, talk a little bit more about that. I got the uh, actives and inactives uh, for you. The Cubs look to uh, finish up their three-game sweep of the Reds, looking to win their fourth in a row before they start a series in Arizona. Their last reload road series, they then play the White Sox at guaranteed rate this weekend. Uh, we hope to be talking with Mark Gonzalez around 1130. Uh, White Sox wrap up a series with the Orioles. And um, back to the Cubs for a second. Positive results in a simulated game for Brandon Morrow yesterday. Uh, they hope he can be activated soon. And Jason Hayward could be activated, uh, they say, as soon as today. But he's not in the uh, lineup, and I have not heard any news about him being activated. So we'll keep you up to date on that if there's any news there um football before i get to the inactives two notes i had one of them from uh, a friend andrew siciliano i think i can call him a friend i knew him when he worked here and i watch him on the red zone because i have direct tv and watch him on a weekly basis on the red zone uh when i am watching the red zone i do have a tendency to watch other games instead of just the red zone um maybe that's why i never win fantasy um but anyway one of his notes were, there were more turnovers last week, 63, than any other NFL week one since 2007. So think about what happened in the preseason. So many teams decided not to play their first teamers and give them rests and keep them safe and keep them healthy and then in week one of the regular season, they go on out and play. So Siciliano said more turnovers last week, 63, than in any other NFL week one since 2007. Now, he did come back and say the Rams didn't play their guys and did not turn the ball over once. So that's, you know, there are 32 teams. But it's just a stat, something to make you say, hmm. And another something to make you say was 15 roughing the passer calls. All preseason, we were all up in arms about the helmet contacts and the helmet penalties and leading with a helmet and all the times it was called and things like that, right? 
Last week, 15 roughing the passer calls, and some of these got out of hand. Now, I understand they don't want the defender to make the tackle and land on the quarterback, but there were some last week that I just thought were questionable. And the other one that is questionable and it's really difficult, if you're a defensive lineman, if you get knocked down, what do you have to do? Do you have to stand back up before you can make a tackle? <clears throat> because otherwise, if you tackle low, they call it a penalty. So something to keep an eye on, roughing the passer calls, 15 of them last week. We'll get to the actives and inactives in a second. First, let's talk some more baseball. Let's go to Lombard and Peter. Peter, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up? Fred, I am a big fan of yours. I've been listening to you since you go all the way back to down the dial. Well, some, I remember those days. Oh yeah, well yeah, I've been around for a while. It's you know I, you, even even before that it was sports phone with uh, Joniak and Bowden well, and Canellis and all I'm that not, kind of stuff. I'm not that old now, Fred. Yeah, you know some people <laughs> some people are. So Peter, what's going on? Hey. Just maybe I'm just overreacting, Cubs fan. What I don't get, I know you very old school, so maybe you can help me out. Joe Madden with these lineups, we have 15 games left. I thought that you play your core guys for the next. We only have about a two and a half game lead, right? I thought you play your core guys every day. You tell those guys, hey, only way you coming out of the lineup if we got a big lead. But he's sitting KB. He's sitting Javi Baez. He sat Rizzo yesterday. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. I have, I'm just so frustrated <laughs> with this lineup thing. I just don't understand it. And maybe you can tell me something that will make me feel better. Well, you know, Peter, the one thing he does is throughout the season he'll rest his guys. But I always thought he rested them so when he needed them, they'd be healthy and right. be out there in the right. lineup. But now yes, you bring that's up, what I thought. yeah, you bring up a good point. There's 15 games to go, and he's resting. You know, ha- the thing is though, none of these guys are hitting right now. Even Javi, Javi had three hits the other day. He he had he got on base, scored the uh, the only run yesterday. But none yeah. of their guys are hitting right now. Yeah, but let me ask you this question: Whether you rather have Javi out there or Lestella out there? You rather have Brian out there or Bodie out there? I know your your main guys are not hitting, right. but you got the running guys out there now. We have a two and a half game lead. You want your core guys out there, whether they're hitting or not. I just heard something. I don't know where it came from, but I heard uh, Theo said, "Hey, no matter these guys are not hitting, we need to continue to put these guys in the lineup. These guys still need to be in the lineup every day." Well, you and know, Joe does just the opposite. You know what? Maybe Joe's doing, Peter. We appreciate the call. They do, when they're done playing today, they do fly to Arizona. And they have a big series, a big three-game series with the Diamondbacks. Maybe after taking the first two from the Reds and uh, winning three in a row, having the two-and-a-half game lead. Maybe if Milwaukee doesn't lose last night, maybe if it's still one-and-a-half, maybe it's a little bit different. But usually, Joe lets guys know a day or two in advance if they're going to be playing or if they're going to have a day off. But maybe he's given some of these guys a day off because he knows when this Arizona series starts, Javi will be out there. Bryant will be out there. Everybody will be playing. Um, the Contreras thing, Contreras isn't in the lineup today either. But you know what? Despite the RBI single yesterday that he hit to right field, Contreras is struggling mightily at the plate. The whole team is struggling offensively. If you think about it, their last two wins came on two swings of the bat. He had a three-run homer from Ian Happ in a 3-2 win over the Reds. And then yesterday, 
you had one run scored, and that was a bouncer hit the other way by Contreras in the sixth inning. That's it. Otherwise, offensively, they had four hits yesterday. The Cubs offensively are struggling big time, and they need to try to figure this out. Now, their pitching is is helping them, and that's a gross understatement. I mentioned the, these stats earlier. John Lester went seven strong yesterday. His ERA in his last six starts, 173. Jose Quintana, who goes today, his ERA over his last five starts, 184. Cole Hamels, his last nine starts, got an ERA of 157. He went six and two-thirds the other day. He'll go in the third game in Arizona. So it's a big series. The Cubs head out there. It's their last game out of Chicago. Because they come home to play the White Sox at guaranteed rate next weekend. Then they're home the rest of the season. So this is their last road trip. They go to Arizona. Maybe Joe is saying, listen, I want KB and Javi and these guys ready for this Arizona series. Because it's big. Arizona, this is this is do or die for Arizona. Cubs have a two-and-a-half game lead. Arizona is four back in the West. They're three-and-a-half back in the wild card. The Diamondbacks need to make a push. These are not going to be easy games in Arizona for the Cubs. They're not playing a team that's got nothing to play for. It's all to play for for Arizona. So maybe that's the reason. I still think, and I asked Jesse Rogers this yesterday, and I'll ask Mark Gonzalez, hopefully you get a chance to talk to him uh, at the bottom of the hour, but we're seeing Chris Bryant get on base. I understand on-base percentage. Chris Bryant is not the Chris Bryant we knew, okay? He struck out four times the other day. He's hitting the ball barely. He had a bloop to right center that would have been caught by a second baseman if they didn't have the shift on. He got a single up the middle through a hole, through the hole. Um, he's just not having the power that we know from a Chris Bryant. So you took the power out when he had that shoulder injury. I'm not sure if that power is going to come back anytime this year. He's still getting on base. On base percentage is important. He's running the base as well. He's playing left. He's playing right. He's playing third. He's doing all those things. But it's not the same Chris Bryant. And for me, it's tough to watch when you see him up at the plate because what you're used to seeing with Chris Bryant, when there was a mistake, Chris Bryant would capitalize. He would jump on a mistake. He's not doing that right now. And uh, that's tough. That's tough to watch. And the lack of offense is tough to watch. Let's see what they can do today against Luis Castillo. It's uh, Jose Quintana going for the Cubs. Talk more Cub baseball, bottom of the hour. Let's get to the actives and inactives that we see. Field Yates posting these. Adam Schefter with a few of them. These are the inactives. San Diego wide receiver Travis Benjamin. Uh, Miami wide receiver Devontae Parker. And Houston defensive end Jadavian Clowney inactive. People say, well, you know, it's fantasy. Why? I have Jadavian Clowney in my, my fantasy football league as a defensive player. So I immediately had to make a move. So, you know, Jadavian Clowney's a guy I like. I go with a lot of guys that grab sacks. And I had, uh, Khalil Mack. I had Sam, I had, um, I did not have Sam Darnold. I had, uh, Aaron, Aaron, uh, Donald is who I had. And I had a couple other guys. But I had Jadavian Clowney. I had to make a change in my roster. Uh, actives. Aaron Rodgers is active. He's playing today. Devontae Adams is wide receiver. Active. Marcus Mariota. He's struggling with his hand. A uh, couple fingers. His fourth and fifth finger doesn't have a lot of grip to him, but he's active. DeAndre Hopkins. Active. Will Fuller, the other wide receiver for Houston. Active. Um, Colts. Running back. Marlon Mack. Active. 
Kansas City safety Eric Berry also is active. Deshaun Jackson is uh, going to play. He is active for Tampa Bay. So those are some of the actives and inactives that we have. Any other late ones we uh, get, we will let you know right here on ESPN 1000. But there are some other games to keep an eye on today in the NFL. The NFC North. The NFC North are a couple of games today, one of them coming up at noon. And I mentioned that Aaron Rodgers is active, so is Devontae Adams as they get ready for this one. Vikings at Packers. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. Uh, For the Vikings, they've won four of their last five meetings with the Packers. They led the NFL in total defense and scoring defense last season. They held the Packers to 10 points total. In two games last year, this will be Kirk Cousins' first game ever at Lambeau Field. Dalvin Cook back with the Vikings. Boy, this guy was running last week against San Francisco. He played 57 snaps in his first game back from an ACL tear. That's more snaps than he played in any game last year. He had a nice run. He breaks tackles. Man, this guy breaks tackles. He broke one tackle and then fumbled the ball. Uh, Needs to hold on to it. In their last six regular season games, Vikings pass defenses allowed two touchdown passes while intercepting eight. Mike Zimmer, head coach of the Vikings, talks about the rivalry. I understand the rivalry of, of uh, the Vikings and the Packers, and I understand the, the proximity of everything here. And um, you know, maybe I didn't understand it at first when I first got here, but I understand it now. And um, you know, they're all big games. This one, obviously, you know, they've they've been a the perennial division champ here for a long, long time, and so um, you know we're we're just trying to go out there and play our best every time we go. And I mentioned Kirk Cousins; he talks about playing in his first divisional NFC North game. First game in the NFC North. I grew up watching the NFC North in both Chicago and, and the West Side of Michigan, so you know it's a great opportunity to join join this rivalry and uh, hopefully uh, put my best foot forward and get off to a great start. Well, we'll see. They play the Green Bay Packers, who are going to have Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers has thrown at, three, at least three touchdown passes in five of his last six games played. We all know he threw three last week. Uh, in his career against the Vikings, Aaron Rodgers, 39 touchdowns, six interceptions. The Packers on defense, they blitzed just 16% of dropbacks in their first game under new defensive coordinator Mike Patton. Let's see what they do against Kirk Cousins. Uh, They've won seven of the last eight divisional games started by Aaron Rodgers and have won their last seven home games started by Rodgers. Mike McCarthy talks about the challenge going up against that rough Minnesota defense. When you look at Minnesota's defense, the the unscouted looks will be more in in what they do, uh, particularly uh, who they do it against. I mean, mean, it's the the matchups, but I think conceptually, you know, how they go about it. I don't see a tremendous amount of change. I mean, they've, they've been extremely successful uh, with the combination of, you know, their scheme and, 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 their, and their talent and their experience. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an excellent combination. That's been very good for them. Yeah, Harrison Smith is really good. Uh, he's another guy I have on my defense uh, in fantasy football, and I know you, nobody cares. But uh, he is one heck of a player. Um, made some nice plays last week against the 49ers, and uh, that'll be a good game. Vikings, Packers, a a noon start. There's also another game in the NFC North a little bit later on this afternoon. 
Lions at 49ers. Oh, the Lions and Niners both are 0-1. Detroit looking to avoid their first 0-2 start since 2015. It's not that long ago. Uh, Matthew Stafford, a poor performance, you think? Um, maybe he should have stayed with his top targets. 21 of his 46 pass attempts were targeted to Golden Tate and Kenny Galladay. The two of them combined for 13 receptions. While Stafford uh, went away from them, the rest of the team had 14 receptions. None of Stafford's four interceptions were came, uh, came when he was targeting Tate or Galloway. And Stafford talks about trying to bounce back. We don't ever want to go out there and, and play... Uh, you know, poor football. Um, you know, so we're disappointed and, and you know, frustrated with our, our own performance. You know, we want to be better than that. We are better than that. We just got to go out there and play better than that. Um, but as far as any of that big picture stuff uh, that you say fans are talking about, I don't know. But uh, I'm not, you know, not worried about that. I'm worried about the guys, you know, in our locker room, our coaching staff, and everybody doing everything we can to get on the right page and, and get a win. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Detroit is a team that the Bears will finish higher than Detroit this year. I'm probably not the first person to tell you this. I don't care that Matt Patricia is there, the new head coach coming from the Patriots. The the Lions never inspire me. And last week, there were Lions fans in road jerseys fighting with Lions fans in home jerseys. It it was not pretty. And uh, we'll see how things go today as they travel out to San Francisco. By the way, if you're defending the Lions, you don't have to worry too much about the run. They finished with 39 rushing yards against the Jets. Their top rusher had only 20 yards. Detroit has gone 69 straight games without a 100-yard rusher. The longest streak since the Browns went 69 games between 88 and 93. As for the 49ers, Matt Patricia knows that uh, their misdirection offense, not an easy one to defend. It's one of the hardest things they do, you know, and that's what makes it so difficult. You know, Kyle does an outstanding job of using those different pieces in ways that, um, you know, we call it like eye control or misdirection type plays where, you know, it kind of gets you distracted looking at one way and then all of a sudden someone goes by you in the opposite direction and it's usually, um, you know, a schemed up player or a schemed up situation or um, type of play and, you know, it's just, it's too late. You know, they have great speed and they're skilled players, so if you take, you know, a misstep here or there, then they're out leveraging the defense to one direction or the other. Um, you know, the thing that they have is they have the vertical speed to do it. Um, but when they turn that vertical speed into horizontal speed, it's the same problem. You know, you just get misdirected. They do have some injuries. The Niners, uh, they are without Marquise Goodwin, uh, their top receiver. Uh, Dante Pettis, a rookie out of Washington, is a kick returner, also had a, a nice grab. George Kittle had five catches, a tight end for them, and uh, a guy that was used a lot in Garoppolo's offense last week. The Niners are looking to avoid a second straight 0-2 start. The Niners have never gone to the playoffs when starting the season 0-2. They've had 13 0-2 starts. Garoppolo struggled in the short passing game. He went 10 for 20 and threw two of his three interceptions on passes 10 yards or fewer. Last season, opposing quarterbacks completed passes thrown 10 or fewer yards downfield at a 75% rate against the Lions, second highest in the NFL. And since Garoppolo became the 49ers starting quarterback in week 13 of last season, he's thrown eight interceptions, which is tied for second most in the NFL. So even though we all love Jimmy G, and so many people do love uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, his uh, eight interceptions tied for second most. He threw three last week. He was trying to bring them back if they didn't turn the ball over, uh, you know, on a fumble and some other things. That would have been a closer game against Minnesota. It was pretty close as it was. 49ers red zone woes continued. 
Man, between the Atlanta Falcons and the Niners, two teams that can't score in the red zone. They were one for four in the red zone last week. Um, last season, they ranked 20th in the NFL with a 46% red zone touchdown percentage in games started by Garoppolo. And we all know how bad the Falcons have been in the red zone. Uh, two teams to keep an eye on as we go further, uh, the Niners and the the uh, Falcons, because they get to the red zone. Uh, you know, if you're a fantasy guy, grab their kickers. I did. Uh, grab Robbie Gold. People thought I was grabbing him because he was a former Bear. No, I'm grabbing him because he kicks a lot. Because uh, remember last year the Niners came here. What did they do? Robbie Gold. Field goal after field goal. I would think it was five field goals. They won 15-13. I think it was the final score. They couldn't score from the red zone. So the Niners' woes continue. Bears play the Niners two days before Christmas out in Santa Clara. So that's a quick look at the other games in the NFC North. The Bears have their own problems as they've got Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks coming. And Matt Nagy, even though it's been only one game, as a head coach, he knows the difficulty of winning in this NFL. One of my biggest messages to everybody in this building is that there's so much thinking parity in this league. And so every game is going to be close. Uh, it, there, there's the exception of the blowouts when you're on one side or the other. So when they're close games, how do we react? How do, what, what, what plays do we make in crunch time when we need them? That's where I want to see us get better. And uh, all around. So as long as we understand that every, I think the average in the NFL, when I say the parity, is around seven or eight points per victory. So usually you're going to have an opportunity to have a chance with the ball, to have a chance to score and win at the end one way or another. Yeah, it's pretty amazing if you look at the National Football League. And I was talking to Chris Bleck about this on Friday. Um, most games in the NFL in the fourth quarter are within seven points. Almost every game, it seems, is within seven points. A team has a chance to win. They score to cut the lead. If they don't, the other team might come down and score, make it a two-score game. But it's like almost every game in the NFL is a one-score game, and that's how close uh, it is. That's how close the competition is in the league. By the way, Nagy is one of seven coaches, uh, first-year coaches with their team. Last week, all seven lost. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, it's the fourth time since the 70 AFL-NFL merger that no team with a new head coach won their first game of a season. 0-4 in 74, 0-4 in 86, 0-6 in uh, 2001. Uh, so the fourth time that not one of the new head coaches won a game. Question was, who has the best chance to get a win in Week 2? Now, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, the only coaches who have a better than 50% chance to win are Tennessee Titans coach Mike Vrabel, 50.4. They're at home against the Texans. And Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy at home against the Seattle Seahawks Monday night. Uh, the Football Power Index says there is a 4% chance that all seven coaches will fall to 0-2. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope Nagy gets a win. Yeah, 1-6 then. That's fine. It'd be yeah, kind of be interesting. 0-7, oh, two straight. So 0-4 oh, team would be wild. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be really strange. Um, so we'll see how things go for the Bears and the Seahawks. We do know the one guy they got to slow down, the guy that got have to stop is Russell Wilson. Not going to be easy. And Khalil Mack talks about facing him. Yeah, he's one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the league. Uh, when you think about the things he's been able to accomplish throughout his whole career, um, it's going to be a hell of a challenge. It's always fun when you get to go against a, a great, a great competitor. And um, Russell is definitely that. And um, we're looking forward to the challenge. 
We will have more sound from the Bears as they gear up for the Seahawks. And don't forget also, uh, I'll be back here tomorrow night, 6 to 7.30 or 7.20-ish, right around there. Uh, getting you ready for the Bears and the Seahawks with Steve Mongo McMichael. We come back, some baseball talk. Mark Gonzalez of the Tribune joins me here on ESPN 1000. Only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you until the top of the hour. Then we've got some football here on ESPN 1000. Good game. Kansas City taking on Pittsburgh. Cubs wrapping up their three-game set with Cincinnati. They've won the first two. Certainly not with the bats. Uh, they've been doing it with pitching. That's not a bad way to win games. Talking more Cub baseball, we bring in Mark Gonzalez from the Tribune. Mark, how are you today? Uh, I've had better days, but I'm I'm still uh, <laughs> moving along. So, um, yeah, the Cubs are gearing up for their trip to uh, Arizona. They got one more game to uh, wrap up against Cincinnati, and uh, it, it, they definitely have not been slugfests. It, it, you know, early in the year, people said this rotation, this pitching rotation, is going to be what gets the Cubs there. It's going to be one of the best in baseball. Well, over the last couple of weeks. It's been pretty close to one of the best with the addition of Hamels, what Quintana's been doing, and also uh, John Lester. What he did yesterday and Hamels the other day, just been amazing. Thank goodness because I don't know what you know where they've gone, if you've been able to find them, but the bats have been completely disappeared from this team the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's been mystifying. Uh, we all thought two years ago when they won the World Series, this is just the start of something big for, for this whole core four and even more of the guys, but they've had probably more lumps than uh, anybody could have figured figured at that point. So, um, you know, Theo Epstein said something pretty interesting about 10 day, days ago saying, you know, it's not time to really look back on your struggles. Uh, just take what you can take what you can get out of these guys. And sure enough, on Friday, Ian Happ is the big three-run homer. You know, his season hasn't been great, but you take moments like those that get you over the hump, you know, Wilson Contreras uh, hasn't been hitting for power, and his average has dropped about 20 points since the All-Star break. But he gets two hits, including uh, a big one. So um, you just take what you can get at this point. But, man, you you look back and, and that thing hit the reset button, and it, it, it's been mystifying to this point. Well, and also, the you know, the pickup of Daniel Murphy, we all knew what Daniel Murphy had done against the Cubs. And then when he came here, first week and a half, two weeks, he just lightened it up, hitting the ball all over the place. And the same with him. I don't know what it's been, but he hasn't been able to do anything of late uh, hitting the ball. And these these struggles, I know usually it happens, it seems, early in the season. When a whole team goes into a slump, it, it's kind of strange to see it happen at this time of the year. What were your thoughts about picking up Murphy when they did? And what? how can you possibly explain what he's going through now? Uh, well, first of all, when they picked him, I thought, I thought wow, this, this tells me that uh, they're really kind of, I wouldn't say hit the desperation button, but times were very uh, crucial at that point because they've been so, uh, had a lot of faith in the Hats, the Schwarbers, those guys, and it just wasn't working out to this point. So, therefore, you have to go out and get a Murphy now. Uh, those first two weeks uh, were better than anybody expected. But I think overall, you know, he's, he's, he's probably hit some fatigue a little bit. I know he started the season later than anybody because of the, the knee, but uh, 
it's just one of those things. Maybe this is his midseason slump, and and, ho- and for the Cubs' sake, uh, they probably think he'll he'll break out of it. But uh, you know, his his at bat, the last five games haven't been exactly an oil painting. Well, and I'm looking here now too. There's also been a change in their lineup. Uh, Tommy Lastella with back tightness. He was supposed to be playing third and hitting second. So we'll get, I'll get everybody a updated lineup when uh, I, I grab one. But uh, yeah, that's just what they need. It was it was a strange lineup, I thought, because Javi was getting the day off, Bryant was getting the day off, Contreras getting the day off. Do you think some of that had to do with the importance of this trip? I mean, it's the last trip of the season outside of the state, outside of the city. Uh, the three games with Arizona; these are important three games because the diamond. You know, they're not playing a team that's got nothing to play for. These Diamondbacks, they're in the the, the heat of a tough race in the set in the West. Do you think that's one of the reasons that Joe rested these guys today? I think that a, a large part in it is the fact that they got to hop on a plane and. Go to Arizona. I know it's, it's, we're going to play indoors, but it's still pretty warm in there. But uh, I think just the uh, cumulative effect of uh, they're playing their 27th uh, date in a row. So um, why not give them a rest now? Then they go all out for three and then get that rest on Thursday. But I think in, in some of these guys' cases, they do need the rest. Yeah, they do. Uh, Chris Bryant, who is not uh, in the lineup today, I was saying earlier about a half hour ago, it, it's almost sad to me. I know he's back, but the Chris Bryant we're seeing right now is not the Chris Bryant we've come to know and love because, you know, it used to be if a pitcher made a mistake, he was going to hit it and hit it hard. He doesn't hit much hard right now, does he? No, I, I think he's been trying to find his rhythm, uh, not, you know, not only with the layoffs, but I think also trying to, you know, keep the two hands on the bat, you know, not, not playing – Line open with that one hand to finish the swing. It's been an adjustment period for him, but at this point, they'll take doubles from Chris Bryant uh, as long as they're driving in runs or, or setting the table for guys behind them because uh, the power certainly hasn't been there. I'm not going to ask you what your opinion was of uh, Pedro Strope hitting and then end up getting hurt in you know the hamstring and all that stuff, but they, they don't really have a closer. And Joe said that yesterday after the game. He said even when Strope was here, he wasn't really our closer. They're using guys in the bullpen. Yesterday he used three guys in the in the ninth inning to get out of it. Can, can they get to the end of the regular season with what they've got right now? Uh, great question. I think it all depends on the, on the starters. Uh, especially what's happened the last two games with Hamels and Lester giving them six-plus innings. If they can stretch it out a little more, that's fine. But that's why I think these next games are so important because they're going to have to have the same contributions from Quintana, Hendricks, and Montgomery, who Joe's really haven't had on a short leash. He's really you know pulled them after you know four innings or it's been a five-and-dive really hasn't allowed him to get any get give him any length and i think it's very crucial now going these next three four games that uh they get length because as you alluded to the bullpen can they continue to do this you know mix and match down the stretch you know even if you're only pitching one third of an inning two thirds of an inning you're still getting up and warming up and, and it takes its toll how tough is it, Gonzo? You've been following the game for a long time and covering the game for a long time. How tough is it when you know Joe? 
I guess if they would have gone on short pitch counts, he may have left guys in for seven or eight innings during the course of the year. But for the most part, they're coming out after five and two-thirds or maybe six. Now at this point of the season, with the bullpen the way it is, and we just talked about, he's asking guys to go out there and stay a little longer. Hamill, six and two-thirds. You had... um uh, Lester yesterday for seven. Quintana, he's pitched so well of late, a 184 ERA over his last five starts. How tough is it to try to stretch yourself and stay in a little bit longer at this time of the year? Well, I think these guys actually want to do that. I mean, they've they've probably been bewildered uh, early in the season by, by getting pulled early. I think they understood it, but maybe not necessarily were on board of it, uh, on board with it 100% because, you know, they want to be the guy that carries the torch deep in games and uh, unfortunately for them, you know, the offense wasn't scoring runs early. Remember that long stretch where they were falling behind early or the offense wasn't scoring and Joe was going to have to pull them for a pinch hitter in the fifth inning? Yeah. Well, well, now's the time where uh, they have to go deep, and I think they, they relish that moment uh, regardless of how they may feel. Yeah, and, you know, you look at it, and uh, one last question for you. We, uh, we've we been talking, and, you know, obviously as, as guys in the radio and media people, we can look ahead and look at playoff rosters and things like that. We were trying to think of who's going to make it because of the addition, the way Bodie's been playing and everything like that. And we were starting to think that Ian Happ was a guy who's going to be, it's going to be tough for him to make the postseason roster. What are your thoughts if he's going to, if they're going to have to keep one of these, uh, position players off? Is, is Happ the likely guy to, to be left off? I, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that he'd be left off. Joe finds ways to use them and, and use them effectively, you know, as far as on, on defense and all that. I think a lot of it, uh, will have to do with his bat. You know, he is a switch hitter, but he hasn't had a, a great year. But if he can get hot and provide moments like he did Friday night, I'm not saying it's to that level of uh, heroism, but uh, he shows that he's got his stroke back and can uh, put the ball in play. Um, I think he's got a good shot to be on that roster because, you know, you look at Bryant, he's played a lot of outfield. He can go back to third. You know, LaStella, if he's not pinch hitting. Remember, in that, that wild card game in 2015, Tommy LaStella was a starting third baseman. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, it, there's a lot of balls to juggle right now. Okay, I, I lied to you. Here's my last question. Uh, Terrence Gore, we saw a couple times what he can do when you bring him in as a pinch runner. We also saw what he can do when you ask him to bunt. Um it, I understand they would like to have him in the postseason if they can carry him. Do you think there's a possibility they're going to be able to carry him, or do you think this experiment stops when the regular season ends? I think it's going to be pretty tough to carry him uh, without losing losing some uh, some assets there. I, I think it's just tough at this time. They'd probably have to take somebody, uh, you know, getting hurt. Obviously, when you're in the playoffs, you're only going to carry maybe – 11 pitchers max, so right. maybe there's an opening for him. But still, I mean, when all the guys come back, assuming that, you know, Schwarber's back's going to be fine, uh, Hayward's hamstring's going to be okay, not many spots left. So uh, it's going to be tough for, for a guy like Gore, whose specialty is his base running exclusively to the get a spot. Mark, I know it's been a rough day. I really appreciate you jumping on for a few minutes. Safe travels, okay? Thank you. Take care. Mark Gonzalez from the Tribune. The Cubs getting ready to head on out to Arizona as they play three games before they uh, come home to take on the White Sox next weekend. Uh, three straight against the Southsiders at Guaranteed Rate Field. Tommy LaStella was in the lineup. He was uh, going to be hitting second, playing third base. 
He's been scratched. Lower back tightness. Almora is in the lineup now. Uh, Jason Hayward activated. I mentioned that earlier. It was funny. I didn't. We hadn't heard anything. Now we do. Jason Hayward activated. He's not in the lineup. It's going to be Almora in center. They'll probably, they'll likely move Hap over to left. David Bodie over to third base. If we get an updated lineup, uh, we'll let you know. But that's what's going to happen position-wise. Bodie going from left to third and um, Almora going out to center field. I would guess that Ian Happ would then go to um, to left field. So we'll see how things go. 312-332-3776. You want to jump on in. You've been listening for a while. you got a question or an opinion on the Northsiders as they try to wrap up this three-game set with the Reds. Uh, what do you think Jose Quintana is going to be able to do? You had Hamels for six and two-thirds. You had Lester for seven. Can Quintana top that today? I think Quintana can go out there and give you more than seven. What do you think? Can he pitch into the eighth inning? 312-332-3776. Final thoughts on the Bears right here. Uh, here till the top of the hour. Then what a game. It'll be Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Let's see if Roethlisberger can do. Let's see what the Chiefs' powerful offense can do. Will will uh, they get another opening kickoff return for a touchdown? We'll have to wait and see. Fred Hubner with you. Jump on in. 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Okay, before we look at some more Bears stuff, as they get ready for the Seahawks tomorrow night. Remember, I'll be here with Steve Michael McMichael, 6 to 7.30, right after Waddle and Sylvie. Go on out and see Waddle and Sylvie. They'll be at the Binnies in Lincoln Park tomorrow. Got tickets for the Bears game, too, if you head on out there. Uh, Cameron Meredith, inactive again. He is healthy, apparently. But Sean Payton, the head coach of the Saints, uh, wants him still getting up. He is still... Getting up to speed with his timing and other things. So um, that's uh, news. I'm a big Cam fan. So somebody asked Jesse Rogers. Jesse's not covering the game today. Uh, He took the weekend off. And he's going to be in Arizona. So he's going to travel out there. Someone asked Jesse, hey, is the wind blowing out today by any chance? Jesse gets back to him saying, I'm not there. Headed to Arizona today for the next series. I hear 3 a.m., better known as Tommy LaStella, is scratched. The wind is the least of my concerns. <laughs> of course. Jesse's guy, Tommy LaStella. He's hurt. He's got no reason to watch now at this <laughs> no. point. Get on that flight. That's right. Tommy was uh, in the lineup hitting second, but he's got some lower back tightness or stiffness. So he is uh, not in the lineup today. David Bodie, who is going to play in left field, they move him to third. And Ian Happ to left, I would think. And then you move Albert Elmore into the lineup. So uh, that'll be the situation for the Cubs. They go for a sweep of the three-game set with Cincinnati. They go for their fourth win in a row. They have a two-and-a-half game lead over the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Here's the updated lineup as we have it now after the back uh, stiffness, tightness. Uh, Rizzo still leading off. At first base, Ian Happ, they moved him up to uh, hitting second in left field. Ben Zobrist in right. Daniel Murphy is clean up at second base. Victor Caratini is catching. David Bodie, he got moved up from ninth in the order to number six in the lineup, uh, playing third base. Addison Russell will be playing shortstop. Jose Quintana is pitching, and Albert Almora 
is your center fielder hitting ninth for the Cubs. They go against Luis Castillo. Big game for the Cubs as they get ready, as I mentioned. They head to Arizona, uh, a three-game series with the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks right now uh, on their last legs, trying to stay alive for not only the NL West, but also the National League wild card. So we'll see if they can do that. A couple other Bears notes I had here written down. Make sure I use them uh, before Week two's games get underway, obviously, besides the game on Thursday. The Bears allowed 299 yards on 31 plays in the second half, 71 yards on 28 plays in the first half, uh, four sacks, a fumble recovery, and also an interception. Now, Vic Fangio was asked, I might have played this earlier, but uh, Vic Fangio said, what what happened in the second half? Uh, nothing changed in our approach. The only, you know, the biggest thing that happened was um, you know, we gave up two big pass plays, you know. So anytime you give up those type of plays, um, that will give you the impression that everything has gone haywire. But everything didn't go haywire. It's just they made two really big plays. And, you know, the third and 14 conversion was a very big play in that game. I like that. Everything didn't go haywire. Just two big plays. That was it. Two big plays. Those those kind of things happen. Unfortunately, they happen to the Bears. And I did mention that tomorrow is going to be the return of one of my favorite Bears receivers, Brandon Marshall. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Chicago's a, a, a great place. Um, you know, here, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, every game is just another game, right? Uh, you know, and that's something I bought into. You know, in the past, I may have went into a game like this and may have been a little bit more hype, but, you know, it's just another game. Um, still got friends on that team. Um, still have a lot of um, friends and even our foundation is still headquartered out of Chicago. So a lot of ties in Chicago. It was a dream job for me. Uh, I was sad to go, but now I'm here and I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. A Bears cornerbacks better be ready because Brandon Marshall, even though he says he's just taking it as another game, you know Brandon Marshall would like nothing more than to score. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for all of his help. Arthur Arkers of Pro Football Weekly and Mark Gonzalez from the Tribune. Thanks for listening. And